The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. I want to have it all. I'm a woman, and if you haven't heard of the phrase, uh, have it all, that basically means for women, because this phrase is never applied to men, uh, that you want to be able to have a family, get married, have kids, be able to have a successful and fulfilling career, and uh, not go crazy, I think, is the thing we need to end at the end of that. And men get to have all these things, and they're not considered having it all. And this reminds me of uh, what was my favorite show until Ted Lasso dethroned it a few weeks ago, Parks and Recreation, and Leslie Nope, uh, when she's campaigning in the last season with her husband, Ben Wyatt, and Leslie Nope is one of the most iconic examples of a character with a flat arc, by the way, um, because she changes all the people around her. She herself doesn't really change that much. And she's talking about how uh, the there's all these different groups fighting because she doesn't want to take part in this antiquated tradition called the primary, where all the spouses of the candidates get together and bake pie. And she's irritated about it. And so her husband, Ben Wyatt, is like, no, you don't have to do it. Uh, we'll figure out a way. And then everyone gets really mad that she's not doing it. And he decides that he's going to do it. And one of the reporters after this asks her a question. And they're like, why do you feel like uh, you can have it all? She's like, what does that even mean? And she's like, uh, yes, I'm a mom. Yes, I'm a, I, well, I think at that point she works for the park, uh, the National Park Service. Um, and she's like, yes, I'm a mom. Yes, I miss my kids when I'm not home with them. Uh, you know, and then they talk about how, how much was a haircut? She's all, none of your business and thanks for noticing. And that was one of my favorite lines. Um, but, you know, she has this interesting idea that I think a lot of us women, we women feel that, hey, I want to be able to be a mom and to be a wife uh, and to also contribute to the world outside of my home. And I agree with her that, you know, it's not really fair that women have to face this idea that having it all is like, uh, you know, something evil and suspicious when men obviously have all those things too. And so it's not really a fair comparison. But what I wanted to talk about today is that I do want to have it all, but there's a big but there. I'm not willing to sacrifice my children's childhood on the altar of my career. And what do I mean by that? And I'm going to give some fun examples. Okay, actually, they're not really fun. They're kind of depressing. And I'm going to talk about what I do to balance my writing life and my uh, teaching life and right now my podcasting life with my 
job as a mom. And I don't mean like, oh, it's a job. I hate it. I mean, I have responsibilities as a mom. I'm raising three very different uh, children who are going through three very different phases of life at this moment. And I want to talk about whether or not we as a society advocate that ignoring our children is okay as long as we have a successful career. I obviously don't think that we should do that. And I'm going to give two examples and I'm going to tell you what I do so that if you are a parent like me, or if you just want to be a good support person to the people in your friend group or your family group, uh, and you don't know how to really balance those two things out, I'm going to tell you how to do it, or at least how I've found success doing it and where uh, I'm failing, what areas I need to work on. So the first example that we're going to talk about is a Netflix documentary. I've been really advocating for Netflix this week. I swear it's just a coincidence. But there's this documentary called For the Love of Spock, and it's about the life of Leonard Nimoy as he played Spock on Star Trek uh, TOS, which is the original series. And so because there are different Star Treks out there. Also, if you don't know this about me, I am a huge Star Trek nerd in that Star Trek The Next Generation was my gateway into science fiction, which obviously has kind of uh, taken over my life at this point in some ways. And I really love Star Trek. Uh, I, I went to the Star Trek pop-up at San Diego Comic-Con when I went there. I think that was 2015. And it was awesome, and I loved it. And I uh, got to actually, my husband got to meet one of the Star Trek novelists in Greece because she lives there now, and she co-wrote with her husband under her husband's pen name. Well, she used her husband's name like a pen name in that they only put his names on the book, which his name, you know, on the book instead of his name and her name, even though she was co-writing it with him, which was basically what you kind of had to do back then because people wouldn't have... They weren't going to pay her any more than they were already paying him, you know, even though she was doing equal parts work. And so that's also an interesting dynamic to talk about uh, as far as gender representation in the writing world. That could have its own episode, I'm sure, and I'm sure it will have its own episode. But uh, so in The Love of Spock, we get to see what Leonard Nimoy was like. And one of the ways that we experience him is through the eyes of his son, Adam Nimoy, and it's really hard sometimes when you know I was made for this specific thing. And I feel like Leonard Nimoy knew that his specific thing was acting. It's hard to take that and then uh, balance it out with your life. And so you can see that Adam Nimoy in the whole interview, like that he loved his dad so much, but he's really sad because his dad was always willing to go above and beyond for the fans. And he wasn't willing to cut out any of that time for uh, his family. And I think if you want to understand someone else who is very family-centered but is also an iconic genius, you can think about Ron Howard. And if you've seen the documentary uh, Dads, which Bryce Dallas Howard made, which made me cry quite a few times. I watched it without my husband because I knew that watching it would be so hard for him since, you know, his father passed away almost three years ago. And it was amazing. And, like, the things that she kept saying were exactly opposite of what Adam Nimoy said about Leonard Nimoy. And when Bryce Howard, 
Dallas Howard was talking about her dad, Ron Howard, and also about her grandfather, Rance Howard, which I am going to cry just thinking about that because it was so sweet and amazing. And I love Rance so much. And I actually named uh, one of the characters in the short story for Right This Way. In the workbook, I named one of the characters Rance because I had just watched that film. It's opposite where you can see that Ron Howard was very invested in his family and he made it so that he could do both. And Leonard Nimoy didn't feel that he could do that, or I'm sure he would have. He didn't understand how to balance his work life and his family life. And so uh, I would encourage you, go watch For the Love of Spock if you're interested in seeing what it can be like when someone has a specific art that they've been made to create, and in his case, it's acting. And they let that consume their entire lives instead of uh, working on raising their children and making sure their children don't have a traumatic childhood where they feel neglected and unloved. And even in the case of Leonard Nimoy, uh, Adam Nimoy explains that probably it wasn't all his dad's fault because his mother kept them from his father. Uh, They kept, you know, she kept all her children from bothering Leonard Nimoy when he was working on stuff. And because of that, you can see there's a resentment there that Adam Nimoy has for his mother, And that's also something that as a partner or a spouse of someone who is a creative, you know, we need to make sure that we're not shielding them from actually spending time with the people who love them. And in this case, that would be their children. And my husband is always talking about (laughs) being married to a creative, and he's actually going to write a book about this next year uh, where he talks about what it's like to be married to me. And the other day he was just... He just sighed. I mean, I got, uh, I you know, I read reviews for my books, and I got a review that even though it was good, there was something that the person complained about, and I was just going on and on about how, well, maybe I could do this, maybe I could do that. And he just sighed, and he looked at me, and I was like, I'm being too hard on myself, right? And he's like, yes. And I was like, and that makes you sad, right? And he's all, yes. And I was like, okay, I promise I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to be so hard on myself. And I told him, I said, I know being married to me is hard. And he just looked at me and he nodded. And he's all, it is hard. Uh, And that's why I'm going to write about it (laughs) at some point. You know, like we always joke about what's going to go into this book that he's working on. He has an outline that he's been creating. But I, I won't be mad at him for any of the things he says because I know that being married to me can be very difficult in that I'm so hard on myself. I expect such a high level of execution from myself And I get uh, laser focused on these projects that I'm working on. And so I've been working, you know, for the last five years to try to balance out everything because I have three children. And okay, him being married to me is hard, right? Imagine what being a child of mine is like. I don't want it to be that hard. And I need to work so that it's not hard for them because I'm my job is to love them unconditionally and build them up so that when they are adults, they can go out and be healthy, like emotionally healthy, physically healthy, you know, if possible and all these things. And so uh, it just bummed me out when I watched For the Love of Spock and I could see what Adam Nimoy was going through. And I also want to talk about Dune, which if you don't know what Dune is, it is a capstone, a cornerstone of science fiction writing that came out in 1965, and it was written by Frank Herbert, 
uh, and edited basically almost in whole by his wife, Beverly Ann Stewart, who he met in a writing program that he didn't graduate from. And I read an article, which I could not find. I tried to find it today, that uh, where Brian Herbert was interviewed about what it was like in his house growing up. And listen, Dune is amazing. It's all the things that people say it is. If you've heard people talk about it, if you don't understand why they're always having like new movies or TV shows or whatever else, this world is very interesting. I have only read the first book by choice because uh, my friend Stavros told me don't read the other books because it's going to ruin the first book for you and I don't want the first book ruined for me. And also he has impeccable taste and if he likes a book that I've written, I know it will do well. And hi Stavros. And uh, so I read Dune, and I was blown away by how subtle it is. I mean, there's all these complex ideas, and it's such a long book, but it, and it gets all these things right, like as far as like the cultural aspects of the society and the rich people and the poor people and the thing they're fighting over and the thing they need. And I mean, you know, and it's about a prophecy, which Paul, he's the protagonist of Dune, uh, he's trying to figure out what does that mean for him. And then we're told a lot of these stories by the wife of the Ma Dib, who, uh, or she's like the empress, basically. And so we know that, like, she's talking about the Ma Dib, but we're like, oh, at some point, maybe that's who Paul becomes. I don't know. And so it's just like a real uh, journey that you're taking with Frank Herbert. But I read an article uh, where his son, Brian Herbert, was interviewed, and he said that his father basically locked himself away all the time to work on Dune, which is very long. It's the longest book I've ever read, actually, besides like a textbook, obviously. Uh, it's the longest fiction book I've ever read. And his father would lock himself away to work on this, and then his mother would lock herself away to edit it, and he was basically a latchkey kid, uh, and people would say, Kristen, do you think that Dune is worth Brian Herbert being completely wrecked? And I would say, no, I don't think so. And I think that's what would differentiate my opinion from a lot of other writers and artist, artists' opinion, because I do not think it is worth creating a completely dysfunctional person who's miserable out in the world to create a piece of art that also touches them. In my opinion, they cancel each other out. And maybe you would say, well, Kristen, Dune has touched a lot of people's lives, whereas Brian Herbert is one person, and he also has a brother. So there's that issue. And Frank Herbert also has a daughter that he had from his first marriage. But, um, you know, I would say I don't care about the numbers, I don't care that a lot of people are affected by Dune and it's inspired a lot of writers to create other masterpieces of science fiction. I would say, no, I'm not for that. I don't advocate for that. I'd rather take the Ron Howard approach. And Ron Howard is an amazing actor, writer, and director. And he did all those things while raising a ton of healthy human beings. Like he and his wife had a bunch of kids and he was always like there for the births and he was very involved and he would have his wife on set. And you see other uh, actors, right? If we're just thinking about actors like Mark Hamill, where he always had his wife with him and they're so close and he really has a good connection with all of his kids and he loves his kids so much. And we, I just think, you know, there's a better way and no, I do not advocate for art over relationships. And I think that's what it comes down to. 
and so it's really sad. And everyone always talks crap about Frank Herbert because, you know, he inherited this Dune legacy and he continued writing books. And I think, you know, he didn't really have a chance to be a good writer because he's so dysfunctional and so unhealthy. How can he write compelling characters that don't make us depressed? Because he's unhealthy and he's pouring that into his book. And that's why as a writer, it's really important for you to be emotionally healthy. Okay, so that was the story portion of today's episode. Now I want to talk about practical application. What things do I do to make sure that my family knows that I'm there for them, even when I have some kind of crazy deadline I'm coming up against or I have uh, for writing, or I also have editing deadlines because I do developmental editing and copy editing, right? So what do I do? Well, I carve every day into chunks. And uh, right now the chunks are different because I have to do hybrid homeschooling Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday with my youngest too. And so that means I need to be up there with them so I can answer any questions they have, help them with their math, help them with their geography, et cetera, et cetera. And so what I've been doing during that time is I've either been working on the Tyler Hart book, which I can take a break from at any moment and help them. Does Is my writing as quick when I do that? No, it's not. So what I'm doing is I'm sacrificing uh, some of my writing time to be there with my kids to help them because they need my help because of the situation we're in with COVID-19. And also, uh, I will sometimes do client editing that is not copy editing at that point because I cannot do copy editing with my kids around because I have to make sure that I'm giving all my attention into it where I have all my grammar and style gears turning in my brain, and that actually requires really focused uh, attention. So I don't do copy editing when my kids are in the same room. So I've been doing developmental editing because that's that's where my brain lives, right? Uh, characters, plot setting, character arts, etc., and um, target audience. And so that's what I've been doing. And then once my kids are finished for the the, the day, because we try to finish around twelve o'clock. Uh, I have lunch with them, or sometimes I'll have lunch with by myself if I'm feeling particularly fried. But they know, like, mom's here, we can come talk to her. And then I go down into my office, and if they want to come into my office, they have to knock. That's a boundary I have. And it's good to have boundaries as an adult with your kids because then you teach them boundaries, which they need in order to be healthy adults. So I go down into my office, which is where I am right now, and I'll record a podcast or like I have a bunch of, uh, you know, administrative stuff I have to work on. Uh, this week I was doing video editing for the Right This Way video companion course, which turned out really well. I'm very excited for anyone who is going to purchase that. There's a great bonus episode at the end where I go really in detail about uh, target audience tropes and even how those principles apply to nonfiction writing. And so I have these different uh, chunks of my day. And then uh, when my kids are in school on Thursday and Friday, I work really hard all day at doing all the things that I know I can't multitask for. So uh, that might be copy editing. That might be, uh, yeah, I mean, formatting, writing, particular projects. And so that's when I do those things. And I have, I just basically load my schedule on Thursday and Friday 
so that I start as soon as the kids leave the house. I try to do administrative stuff when they're getting ready uh, in the kitchen when they're eating breakfast. Like I'll be at my computer, but I'm talking to them and we're interacting with each other in a healthy way where I can encourage them before they go off to school. And then I go down into my office. I work like crazy. I take a lunch break around 1130 or 12. And that's the first time I eat because I do intermittent fasting, which I find helps me focus better in the mornings, actually. And then I uh, do something. I either read like fiction that's not related to what I'm doing, or I watch uh, a YouTube video, or I listen to a podcast, something that I can multitask while I'm eating that kind of re-energizes my creative self during my break. And then I usually take an hour, 30 minutes to an hour break. Or sometimes I might watch a, a webinar while I'm eating because that's just how it works out. I'll, I'll schedule my day around the webinar so that I know, okay, I'll eat while I'm watching this uh, so that I can go back to work. And then I head back down to my office and I work really hard until 3.45 and then I'm basically off because I need to be with my kids and when they come home from school, they just tell me everything that happened in their day. And that's good. That's what I want. I want to be a safe place for them to come unload all of their emotions. And then normally they go upstairs and play Legos or uh, play video games or watch a little bit of TV in the game room. We don't have any televisions in any of our bedrooms. That's something that I read I should avoid before Travis and I got married. And it's just a rule in our house. We don't have televisions in our bedrooms at all. And that's and then I cook dinner, which takes more effort. And some days I really don't want to cook dinner because I'm just so tired. But uh, I do like cooking and I love serving my family healthy uh, and fresh meals. So that's something that I do. I cook and then uh, the kids come downstairs once Travis gets home from work and we have this dinner bell we ring. Everybody comes down. We eat together. And then the kids do the dishes. So I do the cooking. They do the cleaning. And we're going to try to mix that up a little bit because uh, my oldest two are learning how to cook. So then that, we would switch those roles where they cook and then I clean or Travis and I clean. And that is how I function. Like I squeeze my laundry in between there. On Saturday mornings, usually we do a clean of the house. We'll focus on different groups. And I have the most amazing uh, partner in Travis that in that he and I share everything to the point where uh, up until the point where I would hurt myself because I have back and knee issues. So when I'm like facing physical exhaustion or uh, my back is going to go out because it will ha that will happen if I clean, you know, for like four hours, my back will go out. Uh, but it's doing better since I've gone to see uh, a physical therapist and I have exercises but so Travis takes on a lot of that stuff himself, and he also, uh, it's really important to both him and I that we teach the kids how to do these things. So like, even my youngest will do his own laundry. And so that's how I kind of balance things out. I allocate time during the day to different things, uh, to work and or cooking and or being with my family. I try to make sure I'm with my family every single day. And so that's how I schedule my work week, and that's how I determine how many clients I can take on or how many books I can write, and it works for me. The only thing that happens sometimes is I'll get sucked further into the project where I want to work on stuff after the kids, after dinner time, you know, when the table's clean and everything's quiet. But that's basically my only time to uh, either hang out with the family or to be with Travis and let him tell me about his day. And uh, I also will work sometimes 
pretty much all the time. I'll work a few hours on Saturday. I have made a new rule where I do not let myself work on Sundays. And listen, this is the reality for me, okay? If I didn't have all these boundaries and time slots, I could easily go and work and put out probably a book a month. If I'm being honest, I can write really fast when I'm focused. I can uh, write 3,000 to 5,000 words a day, but I don't really get much else done. And I'm not keeping, I'm not maintaining literary symmetry either, which is my baby because I want to get the Academy of Storytelling out and have all the authors in the world have all these awesome tools that I use every day that are stored up in my brain space. And so I work now to have a balanced life because I know that if I look back 20 years from now and my kids are super unhealthy and uh, they don't make good choices because I didn't teach them to do that, I'm going to have more regret than if I look back 20 years from now and I don't have a backlist of 100 books. Does that make sense? Like you have to think about what things last in this world and relationships are very important for human beings to have joy, love, enjoyment, support. These are all things that are going to contribute to your life meaning something. And so if you think, oh, I can only have a life that means something if I achieve uh, success in the realm of my career, that's not true. And I know a lot of people that all they have left now uh, is the fact that they were good at this one thing, but they're getting older and they're lonely and it's not okay and it makes me really sad. And so I want to avoid that. And so I pour as much effort into my human relationships as I do into my professional work. And that's what I would advise for you to do. And I would love for us to stop the chain of having uh, Frank Herbert's and Adam Nimoy's in the world that are just smashed up broken people who can never repair the relationships that they had with their parents that are now gone. So think about these things. Let me know if there are any tips or tricks you have uh, for maintaining balance in your life. And I really appreciate you listening. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. <laughs>